morning, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. Today, we're going to talk all things Pac-12 finances and sports media. With Stanford dropping 11 sports, the University of Southern California and Cal Berkeley deciding to go online, and the conference struggling mightily to keep up with their Power 5 colleagues in terms of revenues, I thought it would be a great time to talk with my guest, John Wilmer. John is the expert that I go to on Pac-12 media rights. He has been with the San Jose Mercury News for over 20 years, and in 2017 started a must-read newsletter called the Pac-12 Hotline, which is, which is definitely good reading for all of college sports and senior leaders on higher education. So John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a ton for having me, Karen. Absolutely. So since we're gonna talk all things Pac-12, Let's start first with the Pac-12 network structure. How did that get formulated? It's different than the other, the other conferences. It is, it is very different. Uh, and at the outset, people thought different was good. And that turns out different might not be so good, right? Uh, you know, the Big 10 was the first of the conferences to form their own network and they did it with a partner. Fox owned 51% and the Big 10 itself owned 49 a couple of years later, now we're talking about, you know, basically 2011, the Pac-12 announces that it has started its own network, but it owns all of it. It didn't partner with Fox. It didn't partner with ESPN. It owns all of it, which means it gets all the revenue, but it also means it had to go out and sign its own distribution deals, right? So the Pac-12 has got, it's a, it owns the content, the, the sports themselves, and it's got to find distributors for that content and then it it you know reaps the benefits and so that was a, the 100 percent ownership model was very different and the conference had high hopes that it was gonna you know produce a bonanza for the schools the other thing that's different is instead of just one network like the big 10 has one network the sec has one the pac-12 decided to form a national network and six regional networks designed to super serve, you know, each of its local audiences. So there's a PAC 12 Washington feed or network. There's an Oregon Bay area, Southern California, Arizona, and mountain. So you essentially have got seven different networks here and that's the cost for doing that pretty substantial. Right. And the, the other interesting component too, was they partnered with cable companies at the outset, Comcast, Bright House, Time Warner, and Cox. And they cut a deal that gave them uh, a good start in terms of subscribers and revenue, but they were also on the hook for 850 live events, right? So the Pac-12 Networks is doing 30, 35 football games, 150 men's basketball games, and then hundreds and hundreds of other events, you know, swimming and golf and tennis, all the Olympic sports, which are near and dear to the Pac-12's heart. But again, costly to produce 850 live events and to run seven different networks. And all of those costs were being carried by the conference without a partner. This, there was a, one other major cost, too, that caught people's attention early on, and that was the decision to locate the Pac-12 network headquarters. 
Yeah. And, and, the, and the situation involving the commissioner of the Pac-12. Can you explain that to us? Well, the Pac-12 had for decades and decades been located in Walnut Creek, which is basically a suburb of San Francisco. It's in the East Bay. Uh, you know, and the office space there was pretty cheap. They decided when they were forming the network, you know, and they were going to run their own show that they, you know, they needed a different office space. They need more office space because they've got, not only now did they have a conference division, but they had a network division. So they needed more space and they settled on a place in downtown San Francisco, uh, which at the time, you know, the conference thought it was going to, it needed to be in a major metro area, LA or San Francisco because of the need to hire uh, production, because of the desire to be near potential partners, especially in the tech industry, uh, to be easy access for network talent that's flying in and out from other, you know, other areas, you know, the analysts who live in various places. So they signed a, a pretty darn expensive deal for two, two floors of rent in, uh, on Third Street in San Francisco. And that rent uh, has, is pretty darn substantial. It's seven, eight million dollars a year. Uh, and that has become a, a source of controversy uh, because the, the revenue has not been nearly what was expected. So the expenses are getting highlighted and, and certainly the rent is one of those expenses. You mentioned 850 events in one year. I mean, that yeah. was really jumping up way higher. I, I remember doing my research on the Big Ten that they only tried to do 350 yep. events their first year. So to go up to 850 is a lot. And, and when you've got live events, you generally in the beginning have brought the whole the whole shooting match. There's no, There weren't any remote cameras at that time. You had to bring everything in. You had to lay all the cable. You had to set up the satellite. And all of those yep. things cost money. Yep. What, were the campuses themselves involved in constructing their own television studios or, or helping with the connectivity around those? They uh, were. They were. They built their own little studios and all the infrastructure that was needed. Now, the, the conference was able to cut part of their tier one deal with ESPN and Fox included an upfront payment, which they used to help offset the, the startup costs for the Pac-12 networks. And, but again, the theory all along was that by the time the networks became mature, say year three or four, they would have full distribution and the revenue level was, would be at, uh, you know, at a point that everything, you know, the, Cash was rolling in and all the startup costs would be handled. Uh, you know, another issue is that in order to form their network, they had to buy back local multimedia rights. So, you know, UCLA, for instance, you know, uh, they've got IMG Learfield uh, is distributing their local multimedia rights back in the old days, right? When the local, when games that weren't picked up nationally, a football game that's not picked up by ABC at 1230 goes to, you know, is shown locally, right? Well, in order to form the network, all the schools had to buy back those media rights from their partners and that costs money. And for some schools that was, you know, there were multi-year contracts that had to be bought out. And so that is part of the financial calculation that has left the schools without 
you know, nearly as much net revenue as they had hoped, right? The PAC-12 distributes about $2.5 million a year. The PAC-12 networks, I should say, distributes about $2.5 million a year to each campus. But in some ways, that is a net net number because those campuses are still, some of them are still buying back, paying for the cost of buying back their local media rights. Yeah, yeah. You know, to help listeners understand, tier one is when you get uh, interest from national broadcasters to cover your game. So let's say that ABC has a Saturday afternoon game and they decide to pick up the uh, Cal Stanford game. And, and so it won't broadcast on the Pac-12 networks. It'll be in a, to a much wider audience right. in, 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 on a Saturday afternoon. But yep. many, many games don't get picked up. So that's when the network says we will broadcast them. And we might call those tier two games uh, sure. that we picked up. And then the other sports that are, that of course the Pac-12 is known for so many great Olympic sports. Yes tend to fall in that tier three category. So that they help fill up that 850 yes. uh, uh, inventory that you were talking about. Right. Um, talk to me about any, and do you have any sense of how, how much, how viewed they were? Was, were people watching Stanford swimming or were they watching USC water polo a lot or how were they managing those expenses? Well, the viewership for those events has been very low very low. I mean, there are some events that are just drawing hundreds of viewers, you know, uh, you know, there are, so there's some, you know, women's basketball, uh, you know, softball, baseball, when, especially when you're getting towards, you know, in May and the, the playoffs and all that, you know, they do okay. Some of that, but most of those events, the vast majority of those events are drawing just a few hundred people. I mean, it's friends and family. And the problem is, that there's friends and family for hundreds and hundreds of events that are costing money to to produce, uh, especially when the Pac-12 was was producing them. You know, had had broadcasters on all the time on site. Uh, so, in terms of the audience right now, the Pac-12 networks reach you know right around 16, 17 million uh, homes. Comparatively, Big Ten, SEC, you know those numbers. They're up in the 60s, 50, 60 millions, right? So uh, it is not doing very well uh, in that regard. Not nearly what they thought when originally when they were hoping to get DirecTV as a, you know, a major partner. DirecTV was going to provide you know, 15, 20 million homes. It was going to provide four, five, six million a year for the, each school. Because that fizzled, it has that has they haven't been able to escape the fact that they couldn't make a deal with with Directv, yeah. which is which is unusual. But Directv was responding to the marketplace by their customers saying, "Don't put anything more else on there; it's going to raise our bill." Right. So they, but they couldn't make the cost benefit analysis work, and that was a right. big loss for the Pac-12. It was a huge loss, and Directv was in some ways at, the Pac-12 was asking them to pay double because Directv was already paying for the premium football and men's basketball games that were going to be on Fox and ESPN, right? I mean, ESPN and Fox have got 40, basically 44, 45 Pac-12 football games every year. Those are on DirecTV. DirecTV is paying for that. And then the Pac-12 goes to them and says, well, can you pay for our second tier football product and our second tier basketball product? And then all of the Olympic sports, DirecTV didn't want to do it. They didn't think the audience was there, like you said. 
Right. Um, so one of the things that I think is interesting is to help our listeners understand the executive board that uh, forms the Pac-12 network. Who, who sits on that board and who reviews the financial statements and that type of thing? Well, Larry Scott is head of the Pac-12 networks. He, is, he has two roles. He is the commissioner of the conference and uh, chief executive of the Pac-12 networks. Uh, there, they have a president named Mark Shukin. He is, uh, he's the third president the Pac-12 networks have had. So he runs that, that operation, uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, there is a CEO board, uh, that's made up of the presidents and chancellors, and they ultimately are making the decisions for everyone. They make the decisions on Larry Scott's contract. They make the major decisions on on conference affairs, and they make major decisions regarding, you know, network business model and and distribution deals and all that. Um, the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors are not media ex- executives. They don't have deep experience. Right, they're they're scientists and they're educators and they're very smart. Uh, and they are have two billion dollar budgets and to run with their campuses and and. They are not media executives. And I think that the conference in some ways has been hurt by the fact that there wasn't a ton of media experience when they formulated their business model. And Larry Scott, he had experience doing deals, you know, when he was at the Women's Tennis Association, he he made some, some media deals, but he wasn't necessarily a media executive in terms of, you know, his, his career resume. And so, you know, there certainly has been a lot of second guessing about their business model, uh, be, being essentially two entities and going at it alone with a product that, you know, it's not the SEC right here uh, in terms of football fan affinity and, and, and committing to uh, a network that had so much inventory uh, with an audience that maybe wasn't prepared uh, as ravenous as, as they thought to demand that DirecTV, right? When Direct, when they had their first football game with the Pac-12 network and DirecTV wasn't broadcasting it, the conference was hoping that thousands and thousands of fans were gonna call DirecTV and demand that they, that they get the Pac-12 network and, and that didn't happen. And yeah. so DirecTV never felt compelled with you know, demand to, to cut a deal. Right. There's so much to unpack in what you just said, oh, but, but let me just step back for a second and, and, um, and talk about that relationship between Larry Scott and the chancellors and CEOs of the campuses. I think you're right. I don't think there's many college presidents today, even with the networks being almost 10 years old, that could say they are experts in media. And they also have, as you said, a lot of other things on their plate, and they bring very different backgrounds to to the discussions. And by the way, there's other items on the agenda besides just forming a media network. So what kinds of um, analysis would you provide? Was the, were the chancellors and CEO the best people to be sitting around the table making those decisions? Were the athletic directors possibly better? Should they have just had outside media consultants come in and structure the deal? What do you think? Well, I mean, th- there's, there's some nuance to that issue. Yeah. Uh, they did use consultants, uh, some, some very well-regarded consultants. But the decision on the Pac-12 networks is very closely correlated to 
the decision for their tier one contracts. So, you know, let's go back. Larry Scott takes over in the summer of 2009. At that point, the Pac-12 is lagging far behind as the Big Ten, especially. And, and for Pac-12 presidents, identify close, more closely with the Big Ten presidents than any of the others because of the relationship in the Rose Bowl dating back all these decades. And because, you know, they view the Big Ten as being closer aligned on an academic mission you know, so many schools that are members of the, uh, you know, American Association of Universities or Association of American Universities, right? So Pac-12 presidents see that they're not getting nearly as much revenue, media revenue, as, big, as the Big Ten. Larry Scott comes in, you know, Tom Hansen had run the conference for a long time in a different era. Uh, presidents are ravenous for revenue because costs for athletic, the arms race in athletics is is going up. Cost of doing business across campus is going up. They need more money. They hire Larry Scott and he takes over in July of 2009. And, you know, within a year and a half, a year and three quarters, he unveils this momentous new TV contract uh, with ESPN and Fox that's going to pay the conference $3 billion over the course of 12 years. I think ESPN is on the hook for like 55% of it. I don't think it's a direct split between the two, but it's very close. And at the time, this is a groundbreaking deal, right? And it wows everybody in college athletics. The timing was very good for the Pac-12 because that was when the value of live sports in the media world was soaring, right? Because you don't DVR live sports. So advertisers are willing to pay whatever it takes. And the, the rights fees for all major you know, sports are going way up. The Pac-12 happens to be the first one to the table among the college conferences. And they get this, Larry Scott signs this incredible deal with, with ESPN and Fox. So he's got the momentum and the clout and the credibility within the Pac-12 to then go out and cut a deal for the networks. He talks to his people, talks to the distributors, you know, does a lot of legwork and decides that the best move is to form the own, their own network and to own all of it outright. And he presents to the athletic directors and the presidents uh, a vision that is going to, you know, provide five, seven, nine million dollars a year once the network is mature. And everybody thinks great, you know, and they, they, there's no reason to doubt the situation at that point because of what the marketplace looks like and because of what Scott had just done with the Fox and ESPN deal. And so the presidents and chancellors are on board. The athletic directors are on board. Uh, and there, there we have it. And it turned out that, you know, it, they probably overshot their mark in terms of the number of live events that they were committing to, the number of network feeds that they were committing to with the six regional networks, all those expenses. Whereas, the, you know, there was some skepticism of whether the demand quite met that level. And it's over time, it's proven that they didn't have, they didn't have necessarily the fan base to warrant all the expenses, but you can't judge the decision on the networks without taking into account the tier one deal that Scott had just signed and the momentum at the, at that point 
that was coursing through the Pac-12 campuses. Yeah, yeah. Fast forward to today, and the most recent uh, 990s came out uh, for the conference. And I think uh, in USA Today, Steve Berkowitz reported that the Pac-12 distributed $29.5 million to each institution in 2018, while the Big Ten distributed $54.5 million. So the gap has widened over this period of time. And at that same moment that we have this disparate gap, we have campuses going online. We have uh, areas like Los Angeles metro area talking about going back to a lockdown. We've got Arizona as one of the hotbeds in the country for coronavirus. Uh, I just read before I hopped on with you that the New Mexico governor has asked New Mexico and New Mexico State to not play football this fall because they don't want the crowds gathering. So where, where does this leave the Pac-12 network at this point in time? And if you were advising a new president who is coming on board, what would you tell he or him or her to do? It's a very vexing issue. And I think that it, it would be important to basically, you know, you kind of have to separate the, the network situation from COVID, right? Because there are, this crisis has, you know, created these challenges for the campuses that they're dealing with in the moment. And we, you know, we should probably assume that it's going to affect higher education and college athletics for, for more than just the next six, nine months, right? Until there's a vaccine is probably going to impact for, for two or three years, right? Especially if the campuses are going with remote learning and they, you know, maybe they can't charge tuition, the same amount of tuition. I mean, the whole financial dynamic is different right now. So what, but what do you see for the PAC 12 network, say three, four years down the line? Well, the contracts are up all of the, they have coterminous agreements. So the, the tier one contracts with ESPN and Fox expire in the spring of 2024. And that's the same time the PAC 12 network agreements expire. So at that point, the Pac-12 will have all of its athletic content available, right? I mean, every football game, every men's basketball game, every Olympic sport is going to be on the negotiating table. And you figure that those negotiations, right, they typically start 15 to 18 months before the contract actually expires, right? Nobody waits until the last minute to do a media deal. So somewhere in the late fall or of 2022 or early winter uh, 2023, the Pac-12 is going to start negotiating. It's going to have every shred of content. Unless it decides that it needs to try to do something before that. Unless it feels like it can't wait because the budgets are so tight and the revenue gap with the other conferences is, is so big that it can't wait till then. And it tries to cut a deal with uh, either a legacy media network or a big tech player tries to cut a deal ahead of time and uh, basically buy itself out of those deals. I don't know, you know, the, the Pac-12 is confident that there's going to be a lot of interest from the Apples and Amazons of the world, right? The, I mean, the industry analysts I talk to call Amazon a professional tire kicker, right? I mean, other than the, you know, the partnership with the NFL network, Amazon really isn't, they're not a primary rights holder in anything yet. 
and Apple certainly isn't. So if you're the Pac-12, maybe you have that opportunity to, to look at App, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, or do you kind of hold, hold down, uh, hold the fort until you can, can re-up with ESPN and Fox? I mean, to me, those are kind of the choices, and they represent two different strategies in some ways. ESPN and Fox, maybe they don't have, they don't have the pockets, right, the deep pockets. They'll pay you handsomely. But what you're getting with ESPN and Fox is you're getting audience. Yeah. You're getting visibility. You're, I mean, the NFL is the, the gold standard, right, in sports world. And the NFL is all about reach. That's why they're on network TV with, with CBS and, and Big Fox, right? Uh, and there's something to be said for the Pac-12 being with ESPN, being a partner with ESPN when it comes to college football, right? ESPN is the prime driver of college football and football is the prime driver of college budgets. Or do you shift and you take maybe more money from Amazon and Apple or Facebook, but you're part of the Amazon Prime membership or you're on Facebook, which, you know, you're, so you're not, you're not mainstream. You're not getting the same reach that you necessarily would, the same ac easy access to the sports world that you would if you're with Fox or ESPN. And so I think that the Pac-12 could end up with a decision to make. They take the money and less, less audience, or do they ta take the visibility? Do they take being part of the conversation and maybe a little bit less money? Yeah. And it's going to be real interesting to see what they do. I also think that it's possible one of those tech companies might say, you know, we'd be happy to get you out of your contracts early and give you a bunch of money to get yourself out of debt because you're going to incur debt in the next year or two, whatever. And then we'll give you far less on the back end, but we want to lock up your rights for a period of time and we'll give you enough money to get yourself out of the situation you're in, but less, less money as the annual payouts. That could be, that could very well be. They're certainly, you know, having some conversations with them and they certainly need money short term. But the question is whether that is a smart long-term business, right? Because sports rights have gone up. They go up. They're going to be, the Pac-12's rights are going to be worth a lot more in 2030 or 2035 than they are in 2025. And so do you leverage your future because you need the short-term money? That's another part of their calculation. And, so, and that kind of gets back to what we talked about with, with the virus and the, the budget, tight budget situation that they're ha that they're experiencing right now. If there's no football, these 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 campuses could football is 80 million out of a hundred million dollar budget, not just for the Pac-12, but for for so many major college programs. And if there's no football and you're out 80 percent of your budget, I mean, there's that's a crisis, and that's just adding to a very complicated situation for the Pac-12. John, one final question, and that's the issue of attention span and the, and the um, diversification of the audience for Pac-12. You've got um, uh, folks over a certain age who like to watch and consume things on Facebook. You've got some folks who will turn to Twitch or Snapchat or others. Would it be advisable for uh, the Pac-12 to consider all of those distribution channels or just to stick in the traditional way with places like ESPN? Well, I think that they want to 
they feel like that's one of their advantages because they own all the content on the Pac-12 networks and they own the distribution channels. And come 2024, they're going to own, you know, at that point, they will have all of their content that's also on ESPN and Fox available, you know, that they want to be able to explore and maximize uh, the content on every one of those channels. I mean, they would love for, uh, you know, come 2024, they would love for uh, a streaming service, let's the zone or uh, whatever to uh, pay, you know, set up a streaming service where you paid nine ninety nine a month to watch Pac-12 tennis and anybody all across the world, a, a Colorado alum in Beijing or a USC alum in Dusseldorf could pay $9.99 to watch Pac-12 tennis, right? They, they're hoping that that's what the ecosystem uh, provides for them in a few years. But certainly, but there's no indication thus far that, that that's how things are going to shake out, right? I mean, if you look at the deal MLB just did with Fox, I mean, MLB, which has been a leader in, you know, uh, you know, on the media side for a decade now, they didn't, they didn't do something fancy. They re-upped with Fox and it was, I think it was about a 40% increase. You may know better than I do, but 40, 50% increase. That's where they're headed. Uh, The NFL is set to renegotiate next year. And that is going to set, I think that is going to really frame the discussion for all the college conferences, NFL's next year, then the big 10, then the PAC 12. And within all this, the SEC is redoing their deal with ESPN. So in some regards, the path is going to be framed for the PAC 12 with these media deals that are coming first. Could be the PAC 12 decides after all this, they're going to go, they're going to turn left when everybody else is turning right. But that would be a very dangerous move, I think, right? Because if you're not part of the discussion, if you're not at the table with everyone else, you risk getting left behind in the discussion, in the recruiting, in the branding, all of that stuff. So they would love to be able to maximize distribution on all those channels, slicing and dicing their content. But is, is the opportunity going to be there? We don't know yet. And, and for those of you that are trying to get your head around this conversation, think of it as your monthly paycheck, you know, and, and, a, and a company like Fox has a monthly paycheck and how much is going to go to the NFL, yep. how much is going to go to college football, and how much is going to go. And, and obviously, you're in a bidding war with yep. other companies for some of that content. So you may end up spending more than you originally planned, which leaves yep. less for some of the other entities you want to go Right. To. And ESPN, perfect example, right? I mean, CBS was paying $55 million a year for the SEC game of the week, which was grossly undervalued, right? It's the number one product in college football. So ESPN is basically going to pay $350 million a year for the same, pro- same game of the week that CBS was paying $55 million a year for. CBS didn't want to get into a bidding war, and most people think that's because they're, they're hoarding their cash for the NFL, the NFL. For the NFL rights that are going to come up for negotiation in the year. So that's a perfect example of what you're talking about. You know, there are, unless you're, unless it's Amazon or Apple, the, the pockets are fairly limited and there's no indication that Amazon and Apple are ready to become primary distributors. Maybe they will be in a few years. 
Well, I think we're going to have to have another conversation or so down the road to see where we are. But John, yep. Miller, thank you so much for uh, you know spending your your well-earned expertise and time with us. We really appreciate it. Hey, Karen, thanks a ton for having me. It was a great discussion. I, I hope uh, I hope somebody learned something. Me too. Me too. <laughs>